The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? There? Doing well, Father. Thanks for yeah. being here. Absolutely. Father, we have uh, several items that we would like to get into tonight. Uh, some of them pertain to Francis, uh, of course, a rather recurring theme on our program. And I, I wanted to ask Father, your opinion on this, because th this question has come up uh, from some of our viewers um, several several times now, and there's this question of, you know, why do we spend so much time on Francis? Why is that so important? You know, the, the title of our show is What Catholics Believe, so wh why do we not spend more time uh, talking about the, the truths of the Catholic faith rather than talking about these modernists and their uh, kind of un-Catholic or even anti-Catholic actions. You know, many traditional Catholics, at least, uh, they, they want nothing to do whatsoever with these modernists. They don't want to know what they're doing. They don't care what they're doing because they know that what they're doing, whatever they're doing, is not Catholic. So why do we spend so much time covering Francis' father? Why do you think that that is so important? How would you reply to people who ask this question? Well, people have expressed that thought to me, too, that they really don't want to hear about Francis because they don't they don't trust what he says, and uh, they they just uh, know that it's it's not going to be Catholic. Mm. Um, so they just want to hear about the Catholic faith, as you say, and uh, and are not interested in what the modernists are saying. But I have mentioned to them in the past that uh, as distasteful it is, and actually disturbing as it is, they need to know what the modernists are saying and doing. Uh, first of all, even though they are not, um, let's say, susceptible to believing what the modernists are saying and doing, uh, nonetheless, they know people who are. And those people are often their own loved ones, their own relatives, members of their own families, uh, their friends and co-workers. And so many of these people are taken in by the modernists of the new order. And so these people need to know. They need to know what modernism is, and they need to know what modernism does, and they need to know what modernism and modernists have done to the church and what they are doing to souls. And insofar as people we know and care about, and let's face it, our Lord told us even to love our enemies, right? So we should care about their souls too. Uh, insofar as there are people who need to know, we need to know, because they're going to be looking to us to help them to know and understand what's going on. So we, we have to have the information to give them. We have to have the information that they need to make a right and good and Catholic decision. If we just um, absent ourselves from the whole issue, the whole debate, and uh, say, I can't be bothered, we're letting people down. And uh, there, go, there will come times when We'll be called upon, we'll be in a position to do some good, to maybe clear the fog in someone's mind and enlighten that person. 
And uh, whether it's a person who's very near and dear to us, uh, a son, a daughter, a parent, a grandparent, or a uh, brother or sister, or just a stranger on the street, um, it doesn't matter. If we have a, a position, um, a Catholic position that enables us to see the truth of things and to recognize the evil of modernism, we need to be able to speak. St. Paul says with regard to the Catholic faith, we have to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And I think that extends to this too. If people are being misled into thinking something is Catholicism when it really isn't, and let's face it, there are a lot of people out there who really believe that that is Catholicism. Uh, modernism, you know, pr presents itself as though it were Catholicism. And this is the great deception of uh, the great deception of the day. Uh, the big lie, as Father Michelli used to say, we need to be able to set the record straight. And the only way we can do that is we, is we know. It's if we know and we understand what modernists are doing and uh, to help people understand uh, what Pope Pius X, St. Pius X warned us about in the encyclical Pascendi of 1907. People need to know, and mm -hmm. therefore we need to know to be able to tell them. So I, I think it's a form of abdication a certain responsibility we have, okay. uh, abdicating from a certain responsibility we have to say, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to know this, I don't need to know this. Um, so, in any way, okay. that's, uh, in any case, that's what I yeah. try to get across to them. Well, Father, one, one thing uh, that, that pertains to Francis, um, you know, I, I remarked earlier when, when I first began doing these programs with you uh, a few years ago, I, I don't remember seeing many articles uh, very often at all dealing with this question of, of state of vacantism or a heretical pope or, or what do you do in that situation. But it, it seems to be that uh, now in the, the mainstream Novus Ordo Catholic press, there's um, just been an explosion of, of these this, this question of what do you do with a heretical pope or a doubtful pope? Um, is Francis actually heretical or not? And it just seems that lately there, there's an absolute explosion of these. And one in particular that I wanted to talk about tonight was uh, this uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Uh, he, um, no sort of bishop, he has an essay that he wrote on the question of a true pope. Uh, the essay is posted on LiveSite, LiveSiteNews.com. And uh, <clears throat> it's a very interesting essay reading through it, Father. I don't think there's anything particularly new in it that Bishop Snyder hasn't hasn't said before. Um, but he kind of, going through the, the essay, he goes through a lot of the opinions of St. Robert Bellarmine, St. Alphonsus, and uh, he calls them all that, ju just only opinions. There's no weight uh, behind any of these. They have not been taught consistently by the, the magisterium of the church, so we have no uh, no obligation to, to actually follow these opinions. There's no binding force behind them. And uh, I believe at one point in the, the article, he even explicitly says that uh, Francis has Francis is heretical. But his, his main conclusion here is that there is absolutely nothing we can do about it. What do you think about that, Father? Well, I don't agree with that. Um, Bishop Schneider is, uh, I guess we'd have to say, a conservative Novus Ordo bishop insofar as he has gone along with the changes from after Vatican II mm -hmm. and, and has represented them. Uh, but he, ha he clearly has the faith. There's no doubt about that. 
Bishop Schneider has the faith. He's appeared recently on Dr. Taylor Marshall's program, mm -hmm. answered a series of questions, and I must say that I, I really agree with virtually everything that he said there on that program, especially at the end where he says that all true sons and daughters of the Catholic Church ought to launch a serious worldwide crusade of prayer and penance to implore a divine intervention. Right. Okay, well, we've been begging for that, right. <laughs> praying for that all this time. Exactly. What is interesting, though, is that, as you say, so many of the conservative New Order Catholics, um, and when I call them Catholics, I, I, I don't mean to put that in quotation marks, because there are many of them who still have the Catholic faith, but they're practicing the New Order. The new mass, there's all that that goes along with the the changes that came out of Vatican II. By the grace of God, somehow they still have the faith, and yet they're practicing something that is not only inconsistent with the faith, which is inimical from the with the Catholic faith. How do we know that? Because hardly a Sunday goes by that we don't have more and more people appearing, strangers appearing at church, appearing in the pews. <coughs> And we find, or contacting our program, who uh, have been going to the Novus Ordo for years and years, but they still have the faith. And they've just sensed that there was something wrong. But now more and more of them have seen the example of Francis and seen his words, and they're horrified by what they see, because they, they now see a man who is a dyed-in-the-wool modernist. I mean, Francis is the... Well, he's a quintessential modernist. I mean, he is the perfect modernist. He's, he embodies modernism. Even when he comes out and says something that is consistent with the Catholic faith, even that is an expression of modernism. Because you can see it is a matter of trying to balance his message and appeal to certain groups, right? But even that, he contradicts within a matter of a week or two or three. And... Uh, so we find in him that living contradiction that St. Pius X warned us against that we should, we should expect to see in modernists. And uh, anyway, the, uh, the point being that more and more of these Novus Ordo practicers who still have the faith are seeing now uh, a voice from the Vatican that is contradicting that faith and uh, even guilty of blasphemy and even uh, pursuing sacrilege in the worshiping of idols, right? Not only in the yeah. gardens of the Vatican, but in St. Peter's Basilica itself. Yeah. And uh, so we are, and wanting to institutionalize that now in this right of the Amazon, this Amazonian right, which is going to bring in the pagan uh, spirituality of, uh, of the Amazon animism. <laughs> so, um, they are horrified by what they see, but the conclusion that they're coming to, and the conclusion that Bishop Schneider is actually leading them to, is that, yes, a Pope can be a heretic, and Francis is, but there's nothing anyone can do about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, recently Dr. Taylor Marshall had uh, a man named Brian Grant, Ryan Grant on his show. They went through the... Um, the writings of uh, St. Robert Bellarmine, 
dealt with the various possible Catholic opinions, or opinions that is possible for Catholics to hold. Uh, and um, Father, uh, rather, St. Robert Bellarmine's position that uh, heresy is incompatible with faith. If one does not have the Catholic faith, he cannot be a member of the mystical body of Christ on earth, and he, he cannot be a member, he cannot be the Pope. He can't be the head of the church if he's not a member of the church. And uh, in an essay, which you pointed out on LifeSite News recently, Bishop Schneider says that this opinion of uh, St. Robert Bellarmine was based upon a, uh, you might call it a tradition that goes back to the Decretals of Grazian, Grazianus, who uh, mistakenly uh, incorporated that into his Decretals, thinking that it was uh, attributable to a pope in the past uh, when it was not. They, they, he thought it was attributable to St. Boniface, actually, St. Boniface, uh, in the year 754. But in fact, uh, that this was not uh, the work of St. Boniface. So they can't find out who was actually responsible for this. Um, and uh, Bishop Schneider says there, as though that undercuts the whole value of that opinion. But it doesn't. And I, I think there's a mistake being made here that even if this uh, document that Gracianus was going, was basing himself on and incorporating these things into his decretals, even if that was not the work of St. Boniface in the, year, in, the, in the 8th century, it doesn't deprive it of any value. And the fact that it was incorporated into the decretals of, of uh, Gracianus, the fact that it came down through history, and so many Catholic theologians held it to be true, uh, right on down to St. Robert Bellarmine himself. The fact that the Church never condemned this as being uh, contrary to the Catholic faith in any way, but accepted this as a valid and viable position for Catholics to hold, that in itself gives it all the value you need now mm -hmm. to realize that I can hold that position. I can believe that, and I can profess that, and I'm still a Catholic. The Church has never condemned this. In fact, in his uh, essay that you mentioned here, which I have in front of me right now, uh, Bishop Schneider makes a point of the fact that this opinion, opinion was never ratified by the magisterium of the church. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't amount to the fact, that does not tell us that it's not Catholic. Right. It just tells us it's not been verified that this is not only an opinion, this is a necessary position that all Catholics must hold. But we're ne we have never claimed that. In fact, I don't know of any, even, even say, of accountists who claimed that the Church has defined this position as its one sole position, only that this is a Catholic position, and it is perfectly uh, Catholic to hold that position. That's all. Mm -hmm. And there are many great Catholics in the past who have held the position. That in itself it tells us what we need to know. I mean, listen to the paragraph here that, uh, that uh, Bishop Schneider gives us here. St. Robert Bellarmine's opinion is that, quote, a pope who is a manifest heretic ceases in himself to be pope and head, just as he ceases in himself to be a Christian and member of the body of the church, whereby he can be judged and punished by the church, 
close quote, De Romano Pontifice, the opinion of St. Robert Bellarmine and other, this is uh, Bishop Snyder mm -hmm. writing down, the opinion of St. Robert Bellarmine and other similar opinions on the loss of the papal office for heresy are based on the spurious decree of Gratian in the Corpus Iuri Canonici. That's the body of canon law. Such an opinion has never been approved explicitly by the magisterium or supported by an explicit teaching about its doctrinal validity by the Roman pontiffs during a considerable period of time. In fact, this matter has not been decided by the church's magisterium and does not constitute a definitive doctrine pertaining to the universal and ordinary magisterium. This opinion is supported only by theologians and not even by all the fathers of the church from antiquity. This opinion was not taught unanimously and universally by the bishops and the popes in their constant magisterium. Neither Gratian, nor St. Robert Bellarmine, nor St. Alphonsus, nor other renowned theologians asserted with their opinions a doctrine of the magisterium of the church. Even some interventions of individual fathers of the First Vatican Council, which seemed to support the opinion of the automatic loss of the papacy for heresy, remained their personal opinion, but not a formal teaching of the First Vatican Council. <laughs> and even if some few popes seemed to support such an opinion, they mention Innocent III and Paul IV, this does not constitute a proof for the constant teaching of the universal and ordinary magisterium. One also cannot cite Pope Gregory XVI to support the opinion of the automatic loss of the papal office for heresy, for he supported this thesis in his book, The Triumph of the Holy See and the Church Against the Attacks of the Innovators, before he became Pope, hence not in his papal magisterium. But you see, Bishop Snyder, I think, is making a, a, a claim here that we can readily agree with. Right. It doesn't change the fact, though, that this is a perfectly viable Catholic opinion. It, it seems and, that that's the point he's making, almost, that, you know, he, he lists all of this he, perfectly what, what Catholic. What he's saying here, it actually supports the, yeah. supports the fact. It doesn't, because no one has ever claimed anything contrary to this, that right. I know of, anyway. Right. We know it's never been defined by the church. Nobody ever claimed it was. Or we're saying that it's perfectly Catholic to believe this is true. Exactly. So I'm not even sure about what the... Uh, I don't know if, if, he, if he thinks that, that that's what people are claiming. And so he wants to make a contrary argument. Mm -hmm. Or he's simply... Um, uh, uh, Either, either. All I can say is that he's either mistaking the fact, uh, mistaking the idea that people are trying to say that it is a matter of the uh, ordinary or extraordinary magistrate of the church that has de decreed this is so, um, and he's mistakenly thinking that, like he's trying to answer that here, yeah. or he's setting up a straw man <laughs> and knocking it down. So all I can say, may maybe he thinks that people are actually claiming something that, in fact, they are not claiming. Father, in this case, could we, I may be off base here, but could we perhaps make the analogy of the church's teaching on guardian angels, where, you know, there's never been a ex cathedra decree or, or definition or anything stating that every individual has a guardian angel, but um, we still believe that. But the ordinary magistrate of the church has consistently taught that. Okay. But he's saying here that neither the ordinary magisterium nor the extraordinary magisterium have taught okay. this. 
as a, a doctrine of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Yeah. And I'd never heard anyone claim that they did. <laughs> but actually what he's doing here is saying all of these people have held the opinion that this is so. And for me, that's enough. And that renders the accuracy of the, that, you know, the work of Gratianus perhaps making a mistake and in, in falsely attributing uh, this opinion to, or this statement to St. Bonavis, that makes it irrelevant. Catholic people, Catholic teachers, Catholic theologians, even doctors of the church have, taught, have, have held this position. And the church has never condemned it and accepted it as a viable, legitimate Catholic position to hold. That's all I need as a Catholic. And that's why I say that those who are bitterly opposed to the whole idea are actually being non-Catholic in their approach. And saying, uh, they're, they're saying that that is a legitimate Catholic position to hold because somebody have held it. And as Catholics, and the church has never condemned it, but I'm telling you, you can't have that. You can't believe that. And, um, you know, Bishop Schneider goes on to say why he believes this is a bad idea. And it's clear he doesn't subscribe to that belief, that heresy automatically um, bars one from the papacy or deprives one of the papacy because it deprives him of the faith. He doesn't believe it because he believes it's too dangerous to believe it. Now that he believes that Francis is, that we have someone, a heretic living in the Vatican, uh, Pope Francis, he, he uh, seems to be afraid of the consequences. He even mentions in here something that I mentioned in a recent program, that even if you had a council or an imperfect council meet, I mean, what's to prevent that from ending in schism with some of the bishops present there saying, yes, he's a heretic, and others saying, no, he's not a heretic, and going their separate ways saying, well, He's just deposed himself, as it were, by the loss of faith. Others say, no, he's still the Pope. What's to prevent that from happening? He points out that danger there. So um, he's actually, as I understand it anyway, I haven't studied what he wrote here, but I just read it through. But he seems to be saying, we can't go there. We just can't go there because it's too dangerous. But I think he's actually overlooking something very important, and that is, I think there is actually a kind of a standing state of schism right now, uh, even though there are those, well, there are those who are claiming that uh, the Society of St. Pius X went into schism, for example, with Archbishop Lefebvre. So they're, they're actually claiming there is a state of schism in a way. But I think what they're afraid of is a, a, a state of schism where the conservative, that anybody who remains in the Novus Ordo who still has the Catholic faith is in danger of breaking away from Francis. I think that's what they're afraid of. And so they're desperately trying to keep everybody together and saying, no, 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 you can't think like that. You can't even, you can't even have an opinion like that. So, uh, for, you know, Bishop uh, Schneider says that the, to- the church is strong enough to brave all of this. We have the census fidelium who have the, um, you know, a sense of the faith and they're going to hold on to the faith. But see, that ignores the fact that the vast, I think the vast majority of the people who consider themselves Catholic right now really have fallen into the ecumenical heresy that all religions are good, they all come from God, this is, her- this is Francis's teaching, and they all lead to God, and you can save your soul in any of these religions, because they all have truth in them. And uh, we cannot say that there is one true faith, that all faiths have truth to some extent or another, 
I mean, Francis said they're all willed yep. by God. Yep. So, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that this damage is being done. As long as there are people who are saying, well, Francis is the Pope, so he's inspired by the Spirit, so this is what the, the new faith must be. This is what the Catholic faith is now. That's just exactly how the modernists think. Um, so he's misleading literally millions of people into heresy. And uh, it's not enough for a Bishop Schneider or anyone else to say, well, the church is strong enough to handle this, so we just have to, you know, uh, insist he's still a pope and everybody still has to regard him as the pope, regardless of what he says or what he teaches or what he even believes or what he even believes. So they might not, they might say he's not a Catholic because he's, he's a heretic, but he's the pope. And this doesn't make any sense at all. Not at all. It, it destroys the very notion of the papacy and the very purpose of the papacy to say something like that. So I would say there are at least implicit contradictions, in some cases perhaps even explicit contradictions, in this position. Um, you know, you know what else, though, too, tough? There are people who are dying in the world state of contest right now because they have such respect for the papacy, they cannot stand to see it degraded and attacked the way Francis is doing. They can't stand to see it not only degraded, but actually falsified, as Francis is falsifying it. And they can't, they can't uh, accept the fact that a man could be in that position and be changing the very constitution of the church established by Christ away from what Christ established and turning it into this synodal church, which is actually going to be governed by synods, which are going to actually be uh, governed by indigenous peoples who are testifying what the faith is in the Amazon or wherever else they happen to be. They know this is all false. But above all, there are people I know who are state of Acantis who have a very, very deep sense of obedience to authority. And the idea that they could be in standing disobedience to a legitimate pope solely for standing up for the true faith, as they know it. And that's all they're doing. Practicing the true faith in the true Catholic religion, the true mass, the true sacraments. The fact that they could be in standing disobedience to a legitimate pope is impossible for them to fathom. And so they say, I, I want to obey, I have a dilemma. You know what this gets down to? Exactly what Cardinal Ottaviani said. He said, if they go through with this New Order Mass, they will cause a crisis of conscience, such as, I mean, an unprecedented crisis of conscience for Catholic people who want to hold fast to the faith. And that's exactly what we see happening. <clears throat> so, I mean, there are those who say, well, they say to Vicantis, you know, they just revel in being uh, disobedient. Quite the contrary. They're having a crisis of conscience, and, and they see the dilemma. And they, uh, they believe in a papacy with real authority to really command. 
But they also believe that, based upon that same authority that has come down to us through the ages, that practicing the traditional Catholic faith is the right thing to do. And, and not giving in to modernism is the right thing to do. But they see the voice of modernism prevailing in the Vatican now. And so they just cannot see how to reconcile what they see as a real desire to obey, legitimate Catholic authority and the authority of Christ when it is commanding them to do something wrong, forbidding them to do what is right. It, it is just uh, uh, impossible. It, it is, in their minds, impossible that this could be legitimate authority. So, um, you know, I'd like the, uh, the, the, the people who are, you know, on the other side of the issue, right, from state of vacantism, who are condemning state of vacantism as an idea which is absolutely unacceptable, under any circumstances, absolutely unacceptable, and treating the state of vacantism as though there were some kind of rogues and schismatics, um, I would like them to realize that this has indeed caused a crisis of conscience in people. And these are good people. They're trying to remain Catholic and practice the Catholic faith. They just cannot reconcile what's going on now with the fact, with the idea that this could be a legitimate papacy. Does that make them evil? No. Does it make them non-Catholic? No. It's a legitimate position to hold. If they start laying, if they start doing what Bishop Schneider says here, and they start saying, no, it's dogmatic, well, then I agree. He's right. He's right in that. The church has never, never mm. allowed them to say it's dogmatic. But it is a theological opinion and a theological position that is worthy of holding. Mm -hmm. And um, the important thing is that we all be practicing the, practicing the Catholic faith. We're trying to bring people back from practicing the Novus Ordo to practicing Catholic tradition and, and, and observing in its integrity the traditional Catholic religion. The, the, the traditional mass of the Latin rite, of the Roman rite, I should say, the Roman rite and all the sacraments and so on, that's our goal. And to leave modernism behind in its entirety and not to compromise with it in any way. Um, how can that not be Catholic? <laughs> Ever. Mm -hmm. right? Under any circumstances. Um, anyway, I, I've gone on here and there's much more to be said here about what uh, Bishop Schneider has said. And I hope eventually it is said, but we can't say it all here now. Mm -hmm. But in, in reading what he wrote here, he's, he basically makes the case that uh, despite the fact that all of these others have held this position, he does not hold this position. Mm -hmm. That heresy excludes one from papacy. It may exclude one from the Catholic Church or membership in the Catholic Church, but it doesn't exclude one from the being the Pope. Mm -hmm. And he considers it to be very dangerous to hold that position because it leads to a, a dead end, basically, and possibly to schism. But there are others who say exactly the opposite leads to schism. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose, Father, at the very least, we can we can say that we agree with Bishop Schneider and that this will that the resolution of this will will require some kind of divine intervention, and uh, well, the way that we we'll arrive there is through prayer. We prayer definitely repentance. agree with that. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, in proclaiming that we all have to pray and do penance mm -hmm. for this deliverance from uh, basically the works of Satan, modernism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree totally. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Right well, Father, one one other topic I wanted to uh, to get into tonight is um, I thought uh, in in some ways related uh, talking about um, the the uh, sister Lucy Lucia uh, the the, the mm-hmm. Fatima. Uh, apparitions. I, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but I, I just saw on, on LifeSite News uh, just yesterday, I believe, that there is apparently a Fatima movie uh, that is being produced that's coming out sometime this spring. Uh, so it's a rather topical subject. But we, we've received emails from a couple different viewers on uh, this one, Dr. Peter Chosnowski, Chernow- I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, he uh, he apparently father has begun this uh, sister Lucy imposter uh, website and he my understanding is that he has he has been working on this for quite some time now where he put together a, a panel of, of experts to analyze um, the uh, what the Novus Ordo Church uh, claimed to be Sister Lucia of Fatima, and uh, he he did a lot of a lot of work with these experts where they um, did things like analyze handwriting samples, um, different things like that. And the overwhelming conclusion uh, of this entire panel of experts was that uh, this Sister Lucia of of the new church was in fact an imposter. It was not the real. Uh, Sister Lucy from Fatima. So, what do you think of this, Father? Would you do you agree with these with these uh, experts? Is this possible that the Novus Ordo would do this? What are the implications? Well, it's certainly possible that the modernists would do this. I mean, look at what they do. I mean, I look upon it in, sort of in the same category with abortion. A modernist abor- modernists abort truth. Abortionists murder babies. Okay, when an abortionist tells a lie. We can't be shocked when an abortionist is deceitful, when an abortionist is selling baby body body parts to get rich, trying to try to get rich. Um, we can't be surprised. I mean, after all, these people are in the business of murdering babies, whether they are uh, doing it at a clinic or whether they're doing it in the halls of Congress or on the floor of the Senate. This is how they make their they're hey, this is how they, they, they gain their, make their living, right? They support these things. Whether they're murdering a baby with a pen and signing a bill, right? Or raising their hand and, and voting or, uh, or getting out a scalpel or whatever they do or a suction machine, they're, they're murdering babies. Well, with the same with modernists, we can't be surprised when modernists de- deceive. This is, this is what they do. They're, they deceive themselves. St. Pius X made it very clear. To begin with, they, they don't believe in truth as we believe in it. So, um, yes, it is certainly very lo- possible, and I'd say very likely, if they could do it, they would falsify this uh, by giving us an imposter as Lucia and uh, to, to accomplish the purpose for which um, they've canonized John Paul II and John the Twenty Third and Paul the Sixth, right? to give it the veneer of holiness and divine approbation, mm-hmm. to give the appearance of divine approval for all the modernists have done. I mean, how many people have said, well, gee, you know, these changes must be okay because, I mean, Sister Lucia Fatima certainly would have known if they were bad and she would never have got along with it, right? Um, well, actually, there's a fallacy in that anyway. I mean, even if it were without any doubt, truly, Sister Lucia, there's no guarantee that she would have 
known, known enough not to go along with it. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But I, I do believe there is truth to what they're saying. I haven't read through Dr. Chesnowski's uh, research and the experts' uh, testimonies uh, uh, to my satisfaction yet. I'd, I'd have to say in that regard, it's jury's out. I have seen some evidence for this. And I must say, I'm inclined to believe it's true. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there, there are just a number of things that have happened over the years that have helped me to come to the conclusion that it's true, even apart from looking at the facial fe features, um, which is what the, um, what the experts largely mm -hmm. are looking at. Mm -hmm. See, is, could this be the same person? Does this person even have the same skull, as it were, the facial features? Um, but, um, I mean, the, the last time that, uh, I, as I recall, John Paul II went to Fatima, the story went out that, that Lucia, Sister Lucia, asked to see him, and he said, I don't have time to meet with you. And I thought, that's very peculiar. <laughs> it sounds like something small, but it makes one wonder what's going on here, you know? Um, so there, I think there are plenty of indication there's enough to be suspicious about this. Now, perhaps after reading Dr. Chesnowski's uh, uh, site, it's pretty extensive, a lot of information there. One might come to the pretty hard, fast conclusion that this was not really Sister, Sister Lucia. Mm -hmm. So I cannot simply assume that Sister Lucia knew the Novus Ordo uh, as well as I do, and she know, she understood it was Catholic, and she went along with it, so I have to, too. That's what people are trying to conclude. But I say that that is not correct. There, there was recently, by the way, an article published on the site Wundabor. <coughs> the site Wundabor, I Will Be Cleansed. Okay, this is a blogger, I guess. And he uh, appealed to um, some revelation to St. Bridget in which she was talking about a bad pope and how he would be severely punished by God for being a bad pope. And the, this blogger was saying, well, you see, this assumes that he was the pope because she kept referring to him as the pope, and that's the whole point. He's being punished as a pope for doing all these terrible things. So we can't use these as arguments that, that somebody's not a pope, sort of, like, sort of following this same idea. No matter what he does, you can't say he's not the Pope. And here we have the revelations of St. Bridget. And I would say, look, you're making a big mistake, both regard to these revelations of St. Bridget, if they're authentic, and uh, also the idea of a real Sister Lucia going along with the Novus Ordo. And the, the mistake you're making is that God will use private revelations to guide us in making theological and canonical decisions. But God does not send private revelations for the sake of, um, uh, you know, endorsing theological positions or canonical positions. He doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't reveal anything new with regard to the faith either. It's an ad addressing, you know, the sinfulness of the times and what we must do to um, to address that, to convert, right, to return to God, to amend our lives. This is the appeal of private revelations very often, right? But God isn't revealing any new truths. 
And he certainly doesn't send Our Lady or any of the saints to earth or come to earth himself to uh, decide whether the, the, the decretals of Gracianus, you know, were based upon some kind of spurious false St. Bonaventure writing or to answer these theological opinions and pick one of them and say, well, this is the right theological opinion. This is the only one you can hold. This is not what private revelations are for. The church has made it very clear that in private revelations, there can be, there can be a mixture of error. In fact, uh, there's, there's a great deal of controversy about uh, the appearances of Our Lady at La Salette in the claims that, uh, well, that the original uh, appearances of Our Lady at La Salette were in fact true. I mean, there's a great shrine to Our Lady of La Salette, right? Where pilgrims go and the church has lent uh, a great deal of credence to uh, the appearance of La Salette. But the claims that Melanie, perhaps Maximin also, later on were saying things that were outside the realm of the, uh, of the apparitions and kind of embellishing on them, right? because of other influences. Uh, there are any number of, uh, of private revelations where the church has had to sort through and decide, okay, this really pertains to a, an apparition that is worthy of belief. But then there were other, other elements that came in that were misleading. And only the church can make that decision. But the church doesn't say that, that any seer who was a seer and received divine uh, approbation received the church's approval that this is, in her view, worthy of belief as a true private revelation from heaven, that they become infallible in their judgments. Mm -hmm. And they can automatically see henceforth, you know, right and wrong in every detail and know all of the um, ramifications of the faith and understand what modernism is and see, you know, the, the church has never said that. In fact, she said quite the opposite. So uh, even if this were truly Lucia, which I don't believe it was, the fact that she went along with it is no guarantee that it's Catholic. Mm -hmm. And nor has the church ever claimed that private revelations would uh, give that kind of uh, infallibility to any seer. But, Father, you know, in, in regards to this uh, Sister Lucy, Lucia imposter, I mean, yeah. it, wouldn't this just kind of, I mean, blow the lid off of the entire uh, well, Novus if, Ordo? if they could really establish beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah. <clears throat> that this it, it was an imposter, mm -hmm. it, that would raise all kinds of interesting yeah. questions. One, one, uh, one um, line that one of our, our viewers used was that it, it was a... Uh, an imposter icon fronting an imposter church, and I mm -hmm. think that, that seems to be pretty accurate. But I mean, isn't this, um, you know? Well, I, I think that could, that's the conclusion that people would come to. Yeah, I think if people came to that conclusion, if they if they looked at all the evidence in Dr. Chesnowski's site, and they came to the conclusion, you know, it's right. We we've been we've been had. Mm -hmm. They actually went so far as to falsify Sister Lucia to try to deceive us into accepting what they're doing. The modernists ha have no scruples. They are, they are deceivers. Yeah. I cannot believe them. I cannot follow them. And how, how absolutely diabolical is that? I mean, you, you talk about the Antichrist, I mean, the, the replacement for Christ. Well, mm -hmm. this is, I mean, not to the same degree, obviously, but along the same lines, right? I mean, if we have, we have an anti-Sister Lucia, I mean, it it's doesn't seem to be too, too, much, uh, 
too many more steps to arrive at that antichrist uh, mentality, at least. Um, but I, <laughs> well, um, I think it would open up open a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, people who are now saying, "Well, Sister Lucia of Fatima went along with the Novosorto, so it can't be all that bad." Yeah, and to realize that they've been had, they've been deceived, yeah. uh, very cruelly deceived by the modernists, I think it would really cause the scales to fall from their eyes, and they'd see the new order exactly for what it is, what it really is. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Father, one other thing I wanted to get into just real quick in the last couple minutes, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention the coronavirus. This has been uh, oh. kind of all over the uh, the news outlets lately. All, all of the headlines are, are pertaining to this. So what's your, uh, what's your opinion on all of this, Father? Do you believe that the... Uh, the coverage is is overblown. Do you do you buy the hype? What do you what do you think about this? I mean, there are those who say it is terribly deadly because it is so contagious, and um, there are those who say it's no worse than a common cold, mm -hmm. depending on one's immune system and how healthy one is. You know, in the first place, there are those who say. It uh, came from drinking bat soup in the markets <laughs> of Wuhan. Yep. There's those who say it was uh, actually created in laboratories in Massachusetts and passed by Chinese researchers there uh, in America to other Chinese operatives who took it back for research in the Wuhan level four bio labs that just happened to be uh, maybe a few hundred yards away from the bat soup markets. right? <laughs> And there are those, there are all kinds of stories. There are stories about it being spread intentionally. Actually, you know, there's a Democrat, I think it was in Colorado, some, some Democratic official who actually proposed, perhaps jokingly, to spread the coronavirus at Trump rallies. Actually came out with this. And, and now, of course, she's being, um, uh, let's say people are not expressing their approval, okay? <laughs> But this is the kind of talk that goes on among uh, democratic people yeah. because yeah. they are violent. They, they believe in violence as a means to an end, just like all leftists do. Even when they joke about it, it shows how lightly they take it, violence against those who disagree with them. But that's what uh, Bolsheviks do. <laughs> you know? um, but in any case, um, do I believe that it is a... a um, an accident? Uh, no. Do I believe that it was purposely created in a laboratory somewhere? Yes. In Massachusetts? I don't know. There actually were people, Chinese nationals, who were, who were arrested in Massachusetts in connection with this somehow. <laughs> I don't know if they ever made the connection official or public, but... Uh, um, <clears throat> Is this, in fact, being spread uh, intentionally? I don't know. Is it being used by leftists and totalitarians? Yes. I believe it is being used. There's no doubt about it. Never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> well, as Hillary Clinton said so famously after 9-11, as Rahm Emanuel, Rahm right, yeah. right-hand man of Obama, said so famously back at 9-11, <clears throat> it's important not to waste a good crisis, right? Why? Because all leftists see, all the way back through the Bolshevik Revolution, through the French Revolution, they always saw that in times of panic, they could take power. They can extend power 
<clears throat> by just appearing on the scene to, as, as the savior to save people from the crisis, whatever it is. So leftists have continually throughout history either capitalized on an existing crisis or created crisis, as in the French Revolution, created a crisis to further their purposes. This might well be a case of that. And, um, some have suggested that the Chinese have too many people anyway in, in their estimation. And many of those around Wuhan, I understand, were of a mind to resist the Communist Party's predations. And so this was a way to th call the herd. And the idea is if they could spread the virus to Europe and to America, so much the better. I mean, they think nothing, they would think nothing. I'm, this is one theory. The Chinese communists would think nothing of, of losing 100 million people to this virus. But if we lost 100 million people, it would affect us very differently. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, knowing how communists think, it all seems very, very, very blabla, as they say. It seems very, very uh, believable. Okay, let's put it that way. But, um, but I don't know. I don't know about that. But I do believe left leftists know how to capitalize on crisis, and this is one of those they want to capitalize on. I think the real danger, though, is uh, not so much the virus as it is the reaction of the government governments, uh, locking people up, locking people down, right? In North Korea, I understand if people show symptoms, they just shoot them, okay? Perfect communist solution to a problem, right? Where human life means nothing. And um, so, you know, I, I have in the past taken uh, student trips to Rome, and now this is in jeopardy, not because I fear that the students will go and catch the virus, uh, I think their immune systems are strong enough to deal with anything like that. <clears throat> but I fear they, they could, they could get there. Somebody could arrive at the hotel showing symptoms, not even one of our own people, but somebody else might come from Northern Italy or somewhere else. And then the whole place would be locked out and we'd be quarantined. But even if that didn't happen, who knows whether things are being closed down, barricaded, right? <clears throat> they are, it's happening. Uh, in some places in Europe. And uh, we couldn't do and see the things that we want to see and do. And when you come back to the States, we're, I guess, expected to self-quarantine for about two weeks. Well, I couldn't possibly do that. I've got pastoral things to do, you know. So, so it's uh, creating quite a problem. <clears throat> one, thing, one thing that I hear over and over again now, though, is if you're not sick, don't wear masks, okay? That only those who are showing symptoms of illness should wear the masks. I was even hearing a doctor say, if you wear a mask and you're not sick, that would actually perhaps contribute to your becoming ill. Yeah. And he explained why. I guess, I guess that means that if those actually who are well are not supposed to wear the masks, but only those who are ill they are supposed to wear the mask to protect others. <clears throat> then if you're wearing a mask, that's an indication you're one of those. You're carrying the virus. And uh, it's almost like a, a mark against you that you are a danger to everyone. Why are you here? Why are you on my airplane? <laughs> Why are you in my supermarket and so on? So it's, it's a difficult one to call. Mm -hmm. It really is. Uh, 
You know, it's kind of curious. Bill Gates has been talking about the possibility of a pandemic. He's been talking about this for years. And there are any number of uh, novels and other, you know, uh, quasi-prophecies that have talked about this great pandemic. I understand one mystery writer, uh, one quasi-mystery horror writer, talked about the Wuhan, a Wuhan disease that would go around and and did this decade, perhaps a couple of decades ago. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the date was on that. Um, I won't mention the man's name because I want people running out and reading his novels because they're not necessarily very nice. But these things have been talked about for some time. Mm-hmm. But it's uncanny how they they have some connection with what's what's really out there now. Um, some would like to see them uh, as prophecy. I think it might be a little stretching a little bit, but it is it is peculiar, no doubt about it. Um, this is just the beginning, though, Tom. I, th- I think uh, that um, I, I don't I don't think that Nancy Pelosi and uh, and Schiff and Nadler and the rest of them uh, invented the coronavirus. But I do think that uh, Rush Limbaugh is correct in thinking that they would like to um, they enjoy seeing the economy um, fail, as it were, uh, because of what it does to their adversary, Donald Trump, uh, because their, their first allegiance is to their own power. I believe that's true. But I again, you know, I, I think they're just taking advantage of the situation. I don't think they uh, necessarily, well, again, uh, you know, the difference between taking advantage of a crisis and creating it. I don't think they created the crisis. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tough one. It goes back to the fact that in the world we're living in today, we have to realize that this is the result of our own sins. It's a result of sin. As our blessed mother told us at Fatima, all of this, this chaos, this crisis, this, this suffering, this is something man-made. Uh, whether the coronavirus itself is man-made or not, I don't know. But what, what is behind it is man-made, and that is sin. And we have to, we have to reform. I mean, Lent is, is a, a, a really the, the time, now is the time. As St. Paul says, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of grace. We have to buckle down here. And we have to know the hunger that means we're really fasting. But to be really serious and truly fast. Not to the point where we can't function, of course. But to the point where we feel the the discomfort of hunger. And we have to uh, be able to overcome that and carry on our duties, right? Uh, We have to fast with our Lord and for our Lord. But it's not just a fasting from food. It's a fasting from lust. It's a fasting from greed. It's a fasting from, from sloth. It's a fasting from all the capital sins. We have to, each and every one of us, try to get to the root of our what we call our predominant fault. And we have to go to work on that during this Lent. Um, so self-privation, which the church calls mortification, we have to do that. Uh, we have to make reparation to our Lord, his sacred heart even for the insults committed against his own mother, too, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which our Lord takes so seriously because he loves her. 
We have to offer to God in the first Fridays and first Saturdays that reparation. But it should not be just on first Friday and first Saturday. It should be every day, every day of the week. By praying the rosary, praying the rosary very carefully and really praying it, not just saying it, but really praying the rosary. Meditating on the mysteries of the life of our Lord, the life, the death, and resurrection of our Lord, the glorification, finally, of Our Lady in Heaven. We need to do that and make that a priority every day of our lives. In the sermon for last Sunday, I just pointed out that our Lord himself has actually given us our program for Lent in what he did in the three temptations. That in the temptation when the devil came to him and said, turn these stones into bread, and our Lord responds, not by bread alone doth man live, but by every word that cometh forth from the mouth of God. Our Lord is saying here, spend this Lent reading, reading sacred scripture, reading the word of God, read the gospels, read the gospels all the way through during Lent. That was the challenge I gave to the people. Let that be the first thing on your agenda. The second, okay, our Lord is taken up to the pinnacle of the temple and told, throw yourself down. Well, that's, our Lord says that's tempting God. You will not tempt the Lord thy God. And how often do we do that? By putting ourselves in the occasions of sin. That's the second thing for Lent. Avoid the occasions of sin. Get serious about it and put away the things in your life that are occasions of sin. And the third thing, when the devil shows our Lord the, the, the glory of the kingdom of the world and offers them to him, if our Lord will, will adore him. And our Lord says, uh, the, God alone shalt thou adore and him alone shalt thou serve. Well, three, that is prayer. Prayer of adoration. There's where we have to pray. We have to pray the rosary. We have to pray the mass. I mean, there above all, we join ourselves, our hearts, our minds. And that's the essence of prayer, isn't it? To raise your mind and your heart to God. But we do that with our Lord on the cross. Our Lord raised up on the cross at the mass on Calvary, the altar, we are able to unite our minds and our hearts to the mind and heart of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacred humanity in that, uh, in that sublime sacrifice that he offers for us, right in front of us, as it were, on the altar. He renews that sacrifice right there. And there we can join in his prayer of adoration of the Father. And uh, so that's, that's the third point that our Lord gives us to adore God alone and to serve him. And of course, praying the rosary, again, we honor our Lord by following his life on earth, you know, with our minds and our hearts, not just saying the words of the prayers, not even saying the words and thinking about the mysteries, but our hearts making an act of homage and adoration of our Lord in that and his love for us and making an act of love for him. What can be a more perfect program for Lent, what our Lord himself has given us, right, in his way of dealing with these three temptations. So that is what we, what we have to do to address what is really behind all of this stuff. The rest of it we can speculate until we're blue in the face, but it's, it's not what we don't know in this case that is going to be the problem. It's what we do know and we don't do anything about. Our Lady has made clear what we need to do. We have to get we have to get about doing it. Mm -hmm. That's our Father's business right now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very, very beautiful, Father. I think that's a great way to uh, tie it all together. And well, uh, we'll too. end with that. So I thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Oh, certainly. You're very welcome. Yep. That's what it's for. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. 
Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and finally to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.